Welcome to Ten, the Tenant Experience Network. I'm your host, David Abrams. In this episode, we are connecting with Shimon Shkuri, President and Founder, Aerial Property Advisors. In this episode, we learn that Shimon's career journey began in 2002, working at a CRE firm that this podcast knows well, Massey Knackle. Thanks to my conversations on 10 with Bob Knackle and Paul J. Massey. About a year into that relationship, Shimon was given the opportunity to run Upper Manhattan and the Bronx as a partner. Shimon went on to hire several key people to support him in that effort, and together they eventually left to start Aerial Property Advisors. At the core of Aerial's mandate is research. Half the team works in research and in turn partners with the sales and investment teams. Layered on top of that are capital services and mortgage brokers. You have to listen to the episode to hear Shimon's story about being laid off from his first job, but somehow also meeting his life partner. He credits the key to his success to his partners at Ariel. Shimon shares insights on the current state of the market, as well as his beliefs on the opportunities ahead of us. He has a great read on what building operators need to do to create more compelling workplaces and suggested the idea of forming a board consisting of both building operators and the occupants to come together and discuss emerging issues in CRE. Shimon is excited about the emerging changes in the office sector and truly loves what he does. We're excited to share this podcast with you, so be sure to subscribe to Ten so you never miss an episode of the Tenant Experience Network. And now I'd like to welcome Shimon to the show. I'm really glad you could be with us and I'm looking forward to our conversation. How are you today? I'm doing great, David. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to speak to you and that's it, you know, All beautiful right. day in New York City. Awesome. Well, it, it is in Toronto as well and uh, I'm glad we were able to connect. Uh, let's start with one of my favorite questions. Tell us about your journey to your current position role. How did you get started? How did you get into commercial real estate? Okay, so let me start from the end. Um, I run a what I think is a great company, Ariel Property Advisors. We 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 decided that as a brokerage firm, we want to start with advisory first. And so we built over the years a very robust research group. And that research group is a part of our, it's half of our 60-person operations. So 30 people in our brokerage firm do research, they're research analysts and sales support people that really accommodate our sales uh, teams, eventually clients. We also have an investment sales group that clearly sells buildings throughout the city. We kind of uh, structured it in a sub-market, uh, sub-segment, territorial market. So each one of the investment sales professionals focuses on a very specific niche, mm -hmm. uh, which we think is the ultimate expertise. And then we layered on to that, we layered on to that, um, capital services, which are mortgage brokers that work in tandem with these investment sales professionals and and really develop or build the best kind of service to our for our clients in a way. Um, we do it with, you know, we have a specific mission statement, which is about empowerment of our clients and the neighborhoods we work with, as well as uh, the brokers. We work with core values, all about teamwork, for example. And um, we've you know, we've done pretty well here in the city of New York. Our start as a company and eventually a partnership uh, was about 21 years ago. I joined a company that you know called Massey Knackle in 2002. Okay. 
And um, about a year into it, Paul and Bob came to me. I'm very grateful for them in general for, for t- taking me in at the time, but also told me, look, we, we see that you have potential. Why don't you run Upper Manhattan in the Bronx for us as a partner? And I said, great opportunity. Thank you so much and took it on. And what happened, uh, David, is I hired three key people. One was the Victor Sozio, then Mike Tortorici and Ivan Petrovich, all of which started with me as interns at Massinacle. And we grew up as a team uh, over the years, and they helped me form that great business that we developed at the time for, for Massinacle, which was in northern Manhattan, the Bronx. And fast forward to January of 2011, uh, Vic, Mike, Ivan, and I started Ariel Property Advisors as partners, and we were joined eventually by Paul McCormick and and uh, Sean Kelly, who are our partners as well. And we want to grow that 60-person operation to more partners and and do more uh, good in New York City in what we do and what how we how we uh, how we work. If that makes sense. Well, that, that's great, and uh, and obviously I've had uh, Bob and Paul both on our podcast and. Uh, very amazing guests, very gracious, and and just really offered so many insights into the commercial estate industry. So wonderful that that you come out of that same uh, that family, as they like to call it. And uh, and congratulations yeah. on your success. Yeah, thank you so much. I think they've groomed uh, a lot of really great people in the industry. A lot of credit to them to to the way we we took that territory system. We thought it was a great idea. We just did it a little differently with the research in the middle of the center and. Breaking mm-hmm. up the silos of the brokerage, uh, so to speak, so everybody can really cooperate. Uh, but yeah, I give them a lot of credit. I think they're great people. And was that your first foray into commercial real estate, um, joining their firm originally? That is correct. I actually got laid off from a banking job right after September 11. I did about six months of banking job. I came out of business school. I went to um, my my dream. I grew up in Israel. My dream was to to go to business school um, in my twenties. And I, I, I wanted to go to Warren and I got in and I got into Warren and, and did uh, an MBA and an MA at the Lauder Institute, Warren and Lauder and had a fantastic two years, got three job offers. One of them was in banking. As I said, I got laid off and two great things happened out of that getting laid off thing right after September 11. The first one, which I think is the most important one is that I met my wife. And, uh, you know, a week after I got laid off, I went online. The first person that smiled at me on a, uh, on a, like a solicitation for match.com, I subscribed to it, paid 30 bucks or whatever it was. And, uh, and we dated and, uh, the rest is Easter and we're still happily married. And wow. the second thing is that I, yeah, the second, it, it, it's, it's, it's amazing how things work. And I think it's, it's all about your mindset, right? You get, you get laid off. You can be really t- sad which i was for five minutes but then right. the opportunity was right there and the second thing that happened was that i changed my career from trying to be an investment banker or consultant to being more entrepreneurial and going to the brokerage world and developing a business there which was again a great thing that happened to me i grew up in israel as i said and and i think that contributed to a, to a lot of the success the five years that i did in the army and and mm-hmm. the family that i had and, and the support throughout the year or so that's very very helpful Amazing. Thanks for sharing that. And, and and I guess a shout out to all those uh online matchmaking services. I guess they Oh work. my god. Yes. <laughs> uh, 22 years ago or, or or more than that by now. But yes, 20 21 22 years ago. So yeah. 
Wow, amazing. So why do you think you were so uniquely suited to this position? Like, I mean, you know, you started out on the investment banking side, but, you know, making that switch to real estate, why do you think that industry just turned out to be the right place for you and, and ultimately has led to your success? I, I think that, you know, once I realized that I have certain skills that don't necessarily exist in brokerage at the time, at least at the time uh, where I, I could develop something that's unique. I, I have this innate um, desire to take our, our business, our brokerage business, make it more and more professional and more mm -hmm. and more giving in a way and, and, and understand that it revolves around information, that advisory first is not just about the transactions. It's really about the day-to-day -day grind of explaining people or helping people understand where the market is, where the building value is, and what we can do to help and how to transact better. And so that's number one. Number two is uh, very early on, I understood, and I still do, my shortfalls. I mean, everybody has some strengths and weaknesses. So I always surrounded myself by, um, by people who I thought could add value or we could add value to each other. And so I'm very mm -hmm. fortunate. I, I mentioned my wife. is She's my rock. She's the best thing that happened to me. And I'll mention my partners because we've been partners or together even before we were partners for a very, very long period of time. So I think that is a huge part of, of my personal success that mm -hmm. I'm able to have these kind of people in my life growing with me over time. Uh, so it's people. And then um, I think I think the understanding that I don't know everything and I don't know what I don't know. So again, trusting people to uh, bring you over these these bridges and listening more over time. I didn't always listen, just listening more and, and being open to uh, to criticism and to um, to growing out of it, if that makes any sense to you. But really, yeah. the the. The the bottom line is I knew that information was missing in the industry, and we we're here to solve that problem, uh, especially in New York City, and more specifically in multifamily, which is what we do a lot. Right. Well, listen, I loved how you know even early on in the conversation, you you gave a shout out to the, your partners even before, almost as soon as we began, and you just gave them another shout out, and I think that speaks to sort of your your, your approach and you and your understanding and appreciation that it's the people that work with you and around you that are helping to contribute to your success. So, um, and it's amazing that you've been able to cultivate those relationships and clearly they're important and clearly they're a big part of the reason why your company has, has been successful. Absolutely. I think that it's, it's all about people, especially in our business, it's a people business yeah. and it's all about figuring out how to service, how the platform can service the partners, the brokers, everybody who works in it better because that then reflects on the clients and the outside world. Right. Um, listen, I, I think we can both agree, and you've been through a few turbulent times uh, before now, but I think you'll agree that the last number of years uh, for commercial real estate um, have certainly been uh, challenging. Uh, we've got you know commercial real estate, the largest asset class in the world. Um, it's continuing to rebound from this prolonged period of low levels of occupancy. It's evolving to meet you know, the, the emerging needs of people in buildings um, and really trying to figure out what business it's in and how to deliver uh, a different level of customer experience. Um, our team certainly believes that, that we're at a, a unique point in time um, where this notion of workplace and how workplace fits in this much larger ecosystem um, is you know, a really interesting opportunity for buildings and an opportunity for workspaces um, to really be different and, and offer something different and, and offer a different value to that end user. 
Um, so we know that now people can work from anywhere, particularly on the office side of this world. They can work from a co-working space, from a local cafe, from a vacation destination. Um, so that industry, that, that sort of sector of commercial real estate has certainly been one of the hardest hit. Um, you're very involved in speaking um, about you know the state of commercial real estate, and I believe just issued one of your uh, coffee and cap rate presentations. So really excited to tap into your expertise and the lens that you bring to this industry. And just curious as to sort of what you're seeing right now in commercial real estate um, as it's continuing to reimagine itself. Um, any top line sort of observations that you can share for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely, David. And thanks for asking this question. Where uh, first of all, I, I got to tell you that one of the missions or one of the things that I see as exciting is, is just being in New York City, real right. estate, in, in, in good times and in bad times. And when you look at the numbers, you, you're trying to find what the narrative is. And, and if you look at the past six months, you see that transaction volume dropped by about 43%, right? So you, you see that it's only $13 billion. It was a lot more last year. But that's not something we didn't anticipate. We expected that because of interest rates um, as of last year, and we knew that's going to happen. What we didn't ex anticipate, for example, are bank failures, which right. was a big issue. We didn't ex expect the speed at which some of the landlord would hand over keys to mm -hmm. the lenders, right? Office landlords specifically. Um, and so, and that wasn't because of anything. It wasn't because of an economic um, downturn. It was a, because of certain structural changes. And I think, David, that's exactly what's fascinating about this specific time. Three things that we see. Underlying fundamentals in office are weak, and we'll talk about that. The second is regulation. It hurts multifamily rent stabilized and it hurts land developers. And the third thing is um, um, the uh, the third thing is clearly uh, interest rates and the cost of capital. Right. So these are the three things that we see that affect everything uh, moving forward. Now, this is also an opportunity. And that's where, you know, we're in a period of time right now of repricing. In a mm -hmm. way, assets are going or coming down in terms of value. And we can talk about the different aspects of office and the different aspects of multifamily. And if you look at an office market, you see, as, as I said, it, it fundamentally, you see that only 50% on average of the people are going to the office. Right. But it's not across the board. It's not across the board. I mean, we saw about $2.4 billion of transactions in the first six months of the year, which is one of the lowest periods or, or, of time in the past 10 years. And we, we're trying to figure out if there's any other ways we can understand this office market from a transactional perspective or in a better way, who's investing today in mm -hmm. office? And you see two trends, mortgage maturities. That's one of the aspects that is happening, right? So you have mortgage maturities that are showing you two things. One is um, the RxRs and Blackstones of the world taking some buildings they don't believe in, right? And right. letting them go. Handing keys over the landlords, but then you see the same type of companies actually holding on to other Class A office that's low vacancy, high rent. The same people, the same groups like the RxRs and the mm -hmm. Tishmans, they're holding on. They're extending mortgages. In some cases, they're investing uh, equity to pay down debt. You saw Ansel Green taking 245 Park Avenue um, and recapitalizing it at a price that's about 10% lower than 2017. So we're talking about not only Esso Green keeping that asset, but also bringing new equity in mm -hmm. this market. 
to recapitalize. So really, you have kind of the world of investors who want to be in the Class A office that's doing really, really well and is repriced because of interest rates. And you have the all the way the other side of the world of buildings that are kind of maybe obsolete or you don't know exactly what's going to happen with them. And then there's a lot of things that are somewhere in between. And then you see, you know, uh, Numdar, for example, buying office buildings at, at a discount, or you see NYU and Google buying their own office buildings to, mm -hmm. to, to be in. You see JP Morgan doing the same thing. You see life sciences, you see some conversions to residential. So there's a lot happening in the office market, but, uh, but it's definitely in transition, if that makes sense. It is. And I think you're right. I think the fact, you know, it's not like there's one trend or one one right. sort of, you know, direction it's heading. It's literally a, 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 a bailiwick of just tremendous opportunity. Um, and, you know, I think you're, you're right when you talked about sort of the class A and the flight to quality. You talked about sort of the far extreme of buildings maybe being obsolete. And then there's a whole bunch of buildings in between. Right. Um, you know, we believe that the B and C buildings in New York in particular have actually a tremendous opportunity. Not all will survive, um, but for those that are are, are truly still committed um, and offering a bespoke, you know, experience and recognizing that they're no longer in the business of just providing space, but how do they compete with that Class A building and how do they provide an unparalleled customer experience through a variety of different means? And, and we're thinking about how technology can help to sort of differentiate and be that equalizer. I think there's a lot of opportunity and we're work, working with, you know, several building partners in New York that are fully leased um, and, and that are, are thriving. So it's not feast or famine for all, um, but it, it is going to be, I guess, you know, who's, who's prepared to dig in and be creative That's right. um, and reimagine their business. So, you know, That's what exactly are you seeing it. specifically in that BNC space? Any interesting trends or, or opportunities there? I, I think that overall, you're hitting uh, some really great points, uh, David. I think the first thing to think about when you think about a B or C building is can it attract tenancy at a certain price point, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's really what you're trying to figure out. And if the answer is yes, then what do you need to do? And I think when when it comes to office space, and I can tell you this also as a tenant, you want the best amenities you can have. You want, uh, if I just saw that Vernado put like a hundred thousand square feet on there in their pen, uh, in, mm -hmm. in, in, in their new, 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 uh, development of, of amenities and restaurants and wellness, wellness, uh, center. And so right. I think, I think these are the things that you want to see as a tenant and also as an employer, because at mm -hmm. the end of the day, it's all about talent retention. So guess what? If I'm in an office space that provides all of these amenities and I manage to bring my people out of their houses uh, four days a week mm -hmm. instead of three days a week like the average is or two and a half days a week uh, and, and they're in the office one more day because they chose to be in the office one more day and they're thinking twice about leaving this company and going to another because the location is not convenient, uh, it helps talent, uh, talent retention. In a in the biggest possible way, and that's part part of why I think you see some uh, companies buying their own their own office right. buildings. I also think that there is a um, I also think there is a uh, um, a situation where you 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 mentioned the ecosystem. I do think that you want to be in locations that have green spaces and locations that have outdoor amenities, that locations mm -hmm. that are convenient. 
So the work uh, live environment becomes a lot more a lot more interesting. And I think that landlords today have to pay attention to that. It becomes more expensive to build or right. to to do the tenant improvements, and it becomes more expensive to retain the the right tenants. But the right buildings will benefit because they're not enough of them. Right, that makes yeah. sense. You you mentioned yeah for sure, and you mentioned that attracting and retaining talent. Um, you know, our view, and I'm just curious about your thoughts, is that building owners, um, operators, the building occupant, they need to be collaborating more um, in this effort. That it's not just up to the the occupier. Um, it's it's not you're just up to the building. That there's an opportunity to really come together and do some creative things to to help you know make the 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 physical workspace uh, a destination of choice and and not a mandate, not not somewhere where we're telling you you have to be, but actually somewhere where you want to be. What what are you seeing? You know, in terms of you know the building operators and occupiers coming together, are you seeing any collaboration? Are you seeing any conversations? happening from the, from the perspective that you have of the space? I think that what, what would be interesting to see is whether, you know, you can have like a, um, some kind of, some kind of a, a, an office board, like a core board exists, right? With tenants that sit on that board together with the mm. landlord and figuring out things that can improve in the building. I think that would be a great thing for Hilo, for example, to lead in some right. of the buildings you're managing, but, you know, really understand, you just have a conversation about, Hey, what can we do in this building? We have two floors that are empty. What can we do with them for you? We're not going to rent them out. We want you to stay here as a tenant. Uh, what kind of amenities you need? What do you think will keep you here? You have your lease coming up in three years. What do you think will keep you here another five or 10 years if we did A, B, and C? And so these are the conversations that if I'm a an office landlord with millions of square feet, these are the conversations I want to have with my biggest tenants. And yeah. I, I don't know if they happen or not. I assume they do. I hope they do. But that's that's really, really, these, these conversations are could be different now because, um, like you said, landlords need to have the understanding of what the tenants want. And, and right. the em employers, in a way, need to understand what their employees want today. So there's conversation that needs to go up and down the chain in order to um, – in order to have that uh, going in, in in the best possible way, if that makes sense, it does, and and I, I agree that perhaps there's an opportunity for Hilo to be involved in that. We have done that in the past, pre-pandemic. We did host um, tenant experience, workplace en engagement workshops with, uh, and we had at the table uh, tenants representation from the tenancy, uh, the occupant, as well as the landlords and and the building operators, and had a conversation around what that looks like. And I think there's probably an, an even greater need. Uh, to be doing that going forward, I think there's so much yeah. to be that we need to understand and 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 appreciate, um, and not you know it's not one against the other. It really is about coming together and sharing sort of ideas to create the best possible place to to work. Um, so I think that makes a ton of sense. I'll see if we can uh, get on that and 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 make some of that happen again. Um, we think a lot about uh, buildings in terms of their role in neighborhoods and their contribution to community. And we've talked to certain, you know, people at, at different levels of, of organization where, you know, where we're really understanding the impact that, you know, COVID has had on, you know, and if you look at New, New York specifically on, on, you know, local businesses, on neighborhoods. Um, and we're thinking a lot about how building operators need to be collaborating with local businesses, connecting with BIDs. Um, to you know, create a more um, supportive relationship to sort of tackle these challenges um, as we look to reinvigorate you know cities and, and financial cores and downtown cores. 
Um, what are your thoughts just on the role of building owners and operators on supporting the neighborhoods and communities in which they're based? Yeah, I think I think that um, landlords have a tremendous role in influencing how the neighborhoods are looking like. And I think you hit on a very interesting point saying it's not an adversary relationship, tenant landlord. And that should be something we in, in the city, in New York City, start talking about. This is really should be a collaborative relationship between landlords and tenants, not just on the commercial side, mm -hmm. but also on the residential side. Because I think that it it's politicized in a way where landlords and tenants don't work together because of politics that we should we should as a city start con you know start a conversation about how landlords and tenants work together but back to to um to the ecosystem that you're describing here i think that landlords should work with with bids and 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 everything else that 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 comes with that because they're part of the fabric of new york city so for example, uh, one of the good things that is happening post-pandemic or now is if, if you and I go to a restaurant to, for lunch today, it's packed, which mm -hmm. is great. If you go to a coffee shop or a Starbucks in the morning, it's packed, which is great. So I think all of these things, we, we, we need to continue to advocate for it. We need to continue to advocate for services, specific services, again, restaurants and gyms and everything else that comes with it in our neighborhoods. We landlords need to think about the locations um, and if if the location is missing something if there's a vacant store and we're missing a coffee shop or we're missing a small lunch place or 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 a deli or something that can service uh, make sure proactively to look for that kind of tenant these are the things that i think um you know you want to you want to you want to do and again as i said before if you have empty space in your building it could be an opportunity to amenitize the asset in a way right. that's conducive and good for your for your um, for your tenants, and I would advise them to talk to Hilo or other people that do what you do, right? Yeah. To to get these ideas and services in the best possible way, in, in the way of best practices when it comes to the office market. So yeah. I, I want to see more people in the office. I mean, we mandated not mandated is not the right word. We ask people to be here three times a week. People are three times a week here. Mm -hmm. um, they're here, especially on Tuesdays, because we actually order lunch. Um, so it's it's fun. But uh, at the same time, you know, we I want to see more people in the office in general. I think that's good for, for business culture. Right. I think there needs to be a little less talk about, um, you know, the, the different extremes, you know, never coming back right. or being mandated to come back and just more talk about how do we continue to build great companies? And if we focus on building great companies, I believe naturally we're going to want to be and find opportunities to be together to collaborate. Um, you don't you don't build a great company in isolation. Um, right. So I think if, if we focus more on our objective and less on, you know, where we need to be, I think we would find we're likely to be together more often than not. Yeah, I love it. I think building great companies is the right motivation. And that's going to flow with bringing people back to the office, not because you want to bring people back to the office, but because they want to be in great companies. I like that. Right. Right. Um, I love what you said, even looking at the BNC building um, about taking maybe, you know, you know, 3000 square feet, 5000 square feet. And granted, you know, the old way of thinking is that if you've got that space, I got to rent it out. I got to generate that 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 rental income. But to convert that space to something like a lounge 
or a, um, you know, a wellness center, or, you know, there's so many different options. And then to use that as a way to bring more people into your building, I think that building operators, even the small, you know, you know, local family owned, um, you know, BNC, which, and, and they, they could own many of those buildings. Um, and in some cases they were in proximity where you could maybe take a floor in one building and then make that amenity space available to two or three or four or five other buildings within their neighborhood or within their portfolio. Um, so I think it's an opportunity to be more creative and to be able to take chances. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think these are great ideas and also tells us that we're seeing a fascinating market when it comes to the office market. It's in transition. Probably mm -hmm. will be in transition for a little while. But all of these ideas will come to fruition and will come out of it seeing, you know, something completely new in the way we we look at office space, which I think is is interesting. And, right. and you see the again, you, and and we're trying to see who's investing in it. We're trying to understand who who what what the investors want in it. And, and that goes back to to looking at what buildings were held, were held on to, what buildings are reinvested in and so on. Mm -hmm. and, and it's fascinating to see. Yeah, uh, I would think that each and every day for you is new and exciting. And while you've been in the business a long time, uh, I would think there's there's lots of twists and turns and still more to come. Absolutely. And it's that's that's what's fun about real estate. Exactly. Uh, let's take a short commercial break and we'll be right back. This episode of 10 is proudly brought to you by Hilo. Hilo is a rapid deployment workplace engagement platform for the hybrid world that enables building operators to connect to their tenants, whether they're at work, at home, or anywhere in between. We are in the midst of a seismic shift in the evolution of the workplace. Now more than ever, it's clear that the most important asset of a building is the people. Commercial real estate leaders recognize that tenants and employees want new kinds of spaces, services, and amenities to support having the flexibility to work from anywhere. Workplace engagement solutions that connect hybrid working people to buildings no matter where they are have become a major differentiator as buildings compete to retain current tenants and attract new ones. Hilo empowers building operators to meet this challenge. To learn more about Hilo and schedule a demo, visit HiloApp.com. And now I'd like to welcome back to the show Shimon Shkuri, President and Founder, Aerial Property Advisors. Once again, I am really glad that you could be with us today. Thank you so much, David. Excited to be here. All right. As I mentioned earlier, I mean, obviously, as a technology company, we think a lot about how technology is shaping the future of how building operators deliver great experience, uh, both office and multifamily, um, to their tenants and their residents. Uh, we think that from an office perspective, workplace engagement is uppermost in everyone's mind. And on the multifamily side, we're now dealing with a situation where, in some cases, you know, people are in their buildings all day long. And so even the nature of that part of the industry has changed dramatically. Um, so with a focus on sort of continuing to evolve for commercial real estate to continue to evolve, to meet the needs of people and buildings, are you seeing any technologies in particular that are helping to impact uh, the business um, or any sort of areas of customer experience, customer service that are gaining traction and helping to contribute um, to a better experience in buildings and perhaps motivating things on the buy-sell front? Yeah, I think that there are a lot of, um, uh, in general, new technologies that affect your day-to-day -day without even noticing it. I mean, in the past, we didn't even have the ability to scan a card or to go into an elevator without pushing a button or a specific button or anything like that. Uh, from from an office perspective, everything in our system is is electronically uh, done through our phones and, and apps and so on, including my 
my apartment building, uh, my co-op is all through the phone and apps and so on. So these are the things that make your life uh, a lot, a lot easier. And I think that we'll see them as we move along. I mean, we're not necessarily going to notice all of these uh, different things day one, but one day we're going to wake up in three or four or five years and see that everything moved to the web or moved to from, from, you know, from the um, to in, into into an application or something along these lines. So I think that technology has a tremendous amount of efficiency to contribute to to office buildings. I can tell you that from our business, um, that's a services business and that's a database business. Uh, we've moved online um, from day one. We actually use a CRM and we sit there and all we do is is through that CRM. Uh, we communicate through that CRM. We talk to, we have an offshore uh, business, meaning a support business that's that's ours, not necessarily in New York City. And right. we communicate uh, through through the CRM, through computers, through our applications regularly. So when, for us, we were lucky, but when COVID hit, we didn't have to do much. We did this and everything was back to uh, being on a computer versus on face-to-face. Clearly, the there's no there's no alternative to human interaction, but when it comes to um, to being to communicating, we were right there. So I think communication is one of the biggest things that mm-hmm. that you'll see uh, coming out of um, you know out of uh, out, out of this uh, moving forward. Um, even if it's showing an apartment today, you can have the technology to do it without a person right. uh, online, mm-hmm. which is pretty pretty incredible. So I think communication in general is becoming a lot more efficient and effective and, and quick, uh, if that right. makes sense. Yep, no, for sure. Communication is obviously a big part of, of our system, of our platform as well, being able to facilitate that connection and particularly in a world now where people are working or can be anywhere, how do we stay connected with them even when they're not in your building? Um, I'm just curious, again, from your lens on the buy-sell side, when you're preparing a perhaps a property for market or you're representing a potential buyer, to what extent is the consideration of what technology is available in the building or or for the buyer looking at what technology exists in the building, is that part of the conversation today? And is it different than perhaps it was, you know, five or 10 years ago? Yeah, so it's definitely a part of the conversation, but in a way that explains how you can make money or save money. Okay. So that's really the key. The key is to show how the asset looks from a financial perspective. If you have certain technology that can enhance that, mm-hmm. um, how does that contribute to your bottom line? So I think that you always want to connect the technology to what it creates and what it does for the building. So it's not a technology for the sake of technology. So our, our books are going to be focused on that. They're going to be focused on the bullet points that add implicitly or explicitly to the value of the asset. Could be location, it could be transportation, it could be technology, but it's yep. always going to contribute to the value of the asset in a way. So that makes sense. That that makes a ton of sense. That's a great insight. Uh, you know, we, we've always had the position that we wanna be uh, a must have, not a nice to have. Um, right. And, and I, I just love that you sort of highlighted that it's gotta contribute to the bottom line um and and drive some 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 degree of value so uh right. makes total sense um shimon thank you so much for sharing all of your insights and we always like to close with a speed round to sort of provide an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better on more of a personal level 
Um, so uh, just curious, when you're not at work, and clearly that's a passion of yours, what are you doing? What, what keeps you busy? I do a few things. I spend a lot of time with family, my wife. Um, I swim, I okay. ski, and I motorcycle. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, do that safely, please. Very safely. Um, what is your beverage or drink of choice? Coffee. <laughs> How many? How many? A lot. A lot. <laughs> like five, six, seven a day, but a lot of them are decaf. Okay. All right. Uh, your favorite movie or current TV series that you're watching? Um, my favorite movie of all times is Forrest Gump. I just okay. love the concept and, and everything about it. Uh, my my wife loves Ted Lasso. Yeah. Uh, and I watched it with her. I thought it was great, but she really loves it. So. Yeah. We just finished the Ted Lasso series as well. It was awesome. Go. And uh, good, good choices. Um, name one way in which technology has improved how you live or work. Oh, everything. I mean, think about Amazon. I mean, it's like, I don't need to go to the supermarket anymore. You know, it's like that alone. It's it's a little thing. But the, the truth of the matter, the biggest thing for me is Salesforce. Um, right. Because we're operating on Salesforce from day mm -hmm. one. And it's been an amazing journey. And again, a lot of credit to uh, Yvonne, who's one of my partners, to, to you know, that, that, that put that uh, behind us, but it's an amazing revelation. Anybody yep. in the services industry in our business that doesn't use that needs a CRM doesn't use it. Uh, highly recommended. Highly yep. recommended. Invest the time and money in it. Well, first of all, CRM is a great um, technology to use, and Salesforce is a great company. So you're you're you've made a good choice there. Um, what is your personal choice for days spent in person working with colleagues versus working from anywhere? Um, a day spent working with colleagues here in the office. I, I'm yeah. not going to replace that with anything else. I mean, right. uh, for me, it's going to be being here in the morning, going to lunch with some colleagues and some clients and and, and going for a drink afterwards. Yeah. Uh, so it's just being in New York City. Uh, well, uh, first of all, I, I you you spoke earlier about New York and, and New York City is, in my opinion, one of the greatest cities in North America, perhaps the world. Um, and I agree with you, the, the energy and excitement about being in that city and the opportunity to, to collaborate and meet and, 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 and do great things. Uh, it's, I love it. And I can't wait to be back. Um, it, you can touch it, you can feel it. And, uh, it, yeah. it's an, an amazing place to be. So, um, New York is an important market for us. We're spending a lot of time there. Um, I hope that my next visit, we can connect. I'd love to meet in person look to it. Um, and look at, uh, try to identify any opportunity for collaboration. So Shimon, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so uh, much, David. It's been my pleasure. A great conversation. Wishing you continued success, you and all of your partners. Um, and we will definitely connect when I'm next in the city. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, David. All right. Take care now. I want to thank Shimon Shkuri for joining me on this episode of 10 and for contributing to the global conversation around buildings being part of a robust ecosystem, helping to build great companies, and that they are vital in the effort to cultivate and support great people and teams. The future of the workplace will likely take many forms, and we'll continue to explore what that looks like together. Subscribe to 10 for more conversations with leading CRE industry professionals and experts who all have something to say about Tenant experience and the future of the workplace. We love hearing from you, so if you enjoyed this episode of 10, please share, add your rating, and review us through your preferred podcast provider. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on a future episode, please reach out to me directly 
at david at hiloapp.com. And until our next episode, I wish you all continued success in building community where you work and live. Thank you.